Let us pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The uh, car that you're driving has been whizzing right along and everything's just fine and all of a sudden you hear a noise that sounds unusual and there's a slight little wobble in the wheel. So how do you respond? Well, you turn the radio up and try to ignore it, right? No, you, as early as you can, you go in to see the mechanic because this car is an investment. It's expensive. And you want it to be right and you want it to last. So you go see the mechanic and said, a, a noise has begun occurring that we, we don't know what it is and I'd like you to find out what it is and I'd like you to tell me what it is and then I'd like you to fix it as long as the price is reasonable. You have a television that's always worked just fine, then all of a sudden one day it just doesn't quite seem as clear or as crisp. Do you, uh, do you just turn the sound up and go in the next room and listen to your show? No, you take the thing in and you, you uh, see somebody about it and you, you get it fixed. A week and a half ago, our internet at the office started misbehaving and the phones right along with it and we had no control over it and we kept doing things to try to get them right and nothing was working and it took them over a week and a half to fix it out. But we couldn't live with it the way that it was. We couldn't just pretend. We were cut off from communication in so many ways. It was really frustrating. When things start behaving differently, we see to them right away, and we get them fixed. And I want to pick up on that idea because it's been a strange phenomenon of my 30-some-odd years in ministry that the churches that I have served are terribly, terribly uncomfortable with any conversations about sin and about confession. The Apostle Paul reminds us that whenever we come to communion, we should not do so in an unworthy manner but we should confess ourselves before God and one another. And so whenever we have communion on the first Sunday of each month, when we have communion, we have a prayer of confession and the assurance of forgiveness that comes with it so that we can corporately confess ourselves and also uh, have time for personal reflection upon that. And we, we confess. So my mentor, when I was first starting out in ministry, every Sunday, he included a time of confession right before the reading of scriptures and a, and a word of assurance. And somebody came to me thinking that if you talk to the associate minister, you can kind of get a word to the senior minister uh, through the side door or something. You ever do that around here? You find somebody that you think knows the pastor and you drop the word on them instead? And they said, I don't know why we have to be dragged through this confession all the time. It's so depressing. It just, it, I don't like it. It's just not, the, what, I come to church to feel better. Anybody else feel like that? Did you come to church to feel better? That confession is difficult. Sin is a topic that we don't want to talk about. I watch our United Methodist Church struggle to find out why after 40 or 50 years, some of our congregations are still declining and we, we blame 
Sunday sports. We blame the changing generations. We blame the style of music, or we blame this, or we blame that, and we go around the barn seven or eight times. But the one thing I've never really heard anybody suggest is that maybe we have some things we need to be confessing along the way. And the psalmist in Psalm 32, Psalm 32, which is one of the seven or eight penitential psalms in the book of Psalms, The psalmist is here today to sing one of the songs of enduring faith, and it's the song of confession. And it might surprise all of us to learn that it is not a song of dour, dark consequence. It's not a a brooding psalm. It's, It's not a depressing psalm at all. In fact, we find that at the beginning and at the end, it's a psalm that is filled with rejoicing. Happy are those whom who are covered by God's grace. Happy are those upon whom God has given his forgiveness. In verse seven, it talks about songs of joy springing out. People will erupt in songs of great joy. And the suggestion there that it is not just the people that are rejoicing, but that God's own self is rejoicing at the rightness of the relationship with his people. And what occurs between those explosions of joy or those promises or those beatitudes, just like Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for for they shall be comforted, or those who mourn shall be comforted, and the poor in spirit shall see the kingdom of God. There's all these beatitudes at the beginning of Matthew and in the middle of Luke, and and this is a beatitude at the beginning of our psalm today. It's an explosion of, of promise that those who are covered by God's forgiveness are filled with joy and they shall be happy. Hmm. But then in verse three and four comes the real nugget. And the psalmist says, when I was silent before God, my body was wasting away. My heart grew faint within me. When I was silent before God, my body began to waste away. Brothers and sisters, if you don't take anything else home from here today, will you take this? The unconfessed sin that remains in our lives is killing our bodies as well as our spirit. It has a deeply deleterious effect on our physical selves because we are not a compartmentalized creature that has a spirit here and a mind here and a body over here. We are people that God means to live an integrated life together, fully integrated, so that the body and the spirit talk with each other all the time, so that the soul within us has a peaceful and a tranquil place to reside covered with the grace and the love of God. Unconfessed sin can kill you. It can just kill you. And I'm not just talking about the stuff that you read about in the tabloids at the grocery store. I'm talking about the really deep stuff. The stuff that emerges in our life as a kind of pride that says, I have no need of God. I don't need God. 
The kind of pride that will begin to excuse itself to exonerate itself by finding fault in everyone else around. The kind of pride that sooner or later begins to think, well, God hasn't been blessing me for a long, long time. The sin in my life has kept me from enjoying the blessing of God. I don't see the blessing of God, and so I begin to take matters into my own self. If God isn't going to show up for me, I'm going to just go out and find the blessings that I want all on my own, which only moves me further away from God. Are you with me on this? And down comes the spiral, down and down and down. And we start keeping secrets, telling fibs, hiding our true selves from everyone around us. Can I tell you a secret? That anyone with the Holy Spirit's descendant, the discernment, anyone with the Holy Spirit's discernment can see right through our pretenses. Spiritually speaking, we are all as transparent as sugar glass. And just about as fragile sometimes. But the church that I have known is the church that gives each other a pass on this. Listen, I'm not going to confront you on your stuff if you won't confront me on my stuff. Let's just leave that stuff private and we won't talk to each other and we'll leave each other alone and I'm not going to mess with you and you don't mess with me. And how in the world can anyone call this fellowship in the Holy Spirit? How in the world can anyone call this love? to allow ourselves to live in heartsick misery for the things that we have not got off our chest yet. I first experienced this as a small child. I wanted to keep up with the other kids in the class and I came across a teacher in fourth grade who gave us kind of a lot of leash on the honor system. There were worksheets we had to do, and as long as you did them, you were fine. And I pulled one out, and I got about half of it done, and recess was there. And I wanted to go play with the kids at recess, so I stuffed it in my desk drawer. And I thought, I'll get to it later. I didn't get to it later. But I went up to the board where we checked off the work that we had accomplished, and I checked it off. Done. Same thing happened again and again and again. And before I knew it, I was two or three weeks behind. And I was really struggling. And I was more afraid that somebody would find out. When people came to see me on the way in and out of recess, I sat on my desk so no one would open it and no one would see the unfinished work that was in there. And there came a night when I went to bed and about a half hour after I fell asleep, I woke up and I could not go back to sleep. My mind was racing, my heart was pounding, my stomach felt sick because I had been lying to everybody, to my friends, to my teachers, and to my parents. I'm a good student. For the life of me, I cannot forget, I figure out why in the world I just stopped doing the work but I found it easier to just pretend after a while. Just go through the motions. Come to church every Sunday, write out a check, say the prayer when it's your turn, act nice and compliment as many people as you can and try to live a good life. 
And the stuff that's in the desk drawer will never come back to bite you, right? But I serve a God who loves me much more than that. Much more than that. And that night was a first of many dark nights for my soul. And I got up and like walking the green mile, I walked the long hallway down to my parents' bedroom. And I opened the door and I heard the deep rhythm of their sleep. You ever had to wake your parents up in the middle of the night? You ever stood there with your mouth going, and the word mom just won't come out? Because there's that blessed silence, that sanctuary-like silence. And finally I said, Mom. And they said, what's the matter? And, and I just started to cry. And it all came pouring out. It all came pouring out. I've been lying at school. I haven't done my work. I haven't done any of that. And they sat me on the edge of the bed and they gave me a hug. And they gave me some penance to do. You need to go talk to your teacher first thing in the morning and tell him what's been going on. And you need to apologize to him. Yep. In that moment, though I had a terrifying conversation ahead of me with my teacher, in that moment, brothers and sisters, a weight more weighty than anything I can ever describe was lifted from me. I was carried aloft back to my bed by ministering angels. I fell asleep like that. And I woke to the sound of birdsong in the morning. And it was a whole new creation in front of me. This happens again and again and again in our lives. Over and over. John Wesley wrote a whole sermon about it and he got kicked out of a bunch of churches for preaching it. It was called the repentance of believers. What need do believers have of repentance? I have repented. God has redeemed me. I don't need to repent anymore. Not so, said John Wesley. Sin may have been conquered in our life, but its residual effect remains in our life. And the great work of the Holy Spirit is to continue to rinse that sin away from us, to drive its effect, and to gain, help our souls gain its power over that sin. And this comes with practice and iteration and practice and repetition. So that the time of confession and the time of, of assurance of pardon in our church life and in our liturgy is not something to be dread, but something to be welcomed. Because on the other side of this acknowledgement lies the deepest peace we will ever know. And every time we conquer our pride, and every time we give voice to what's going on, the truth, we get stronger and stronger and more and more like the Christ whom we serve. This is a song of joy, not a song of darkness. This is a song of liberation, not a song of enslavement. This is a song where the chains finally fall off and we are free to stand as tall and as bright as we want and to skip like calves across an open meadow. 
This is the song of God's triumph in us. And it's a psalm that again and again and again affirms the goodness of God, the steadfast love, and the faithfulness of the Lord. For it is the greatest expression of trust in God that we take our darkest selves before him, not fearing that he will obliterate us, but trusting that he will teach us how to live like the creatures he made us to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me on this? The song of confession. The song of confession is my favorite because it's where I remember that I don't have to be God anymore. That I can just be one of God's sons or daughters as the case may be. Ah, it feels good. Because I've been worried so much about getting the world right for God. I want to march to Washington and tell them how to do it. I I, I want to talk to the coach of the Rams and tell him how to do it. I want to go to UCLA and fix everything over there. I want to go to the banks and tell them how to do it. I want to go to all the people who are still living on the streets and show them how it should be and talk to city council and I want to go everywhere and I want to tell everybody this is how it should be but the thing that feels best at the end of the day is to stop blaming all of them to get it out that thing that is making me physically sick to to have done with it the song of confession is God's great gift to us Because of Jesus and his work on the cross, we are already forgiven. But God cannot fully cleanse what we will not acknowledge before him. And so we confess. And confession and assurance and the penance that comes with it, this is the only system of justice in the entire world that is designed to end in our forgiveness if we will just confess. Hmm. Every author that you will read, every friend that you can talk to can tell you about a time when they finally let go of what they were holding secret and it set them free. Isn't it our turn to be free now? Isn't it our turn to put our trust fully in the Lord? to believe with our actual selves that God's steadfast love endures forever. Sing the song of confession with me. Give God your whole self. Make your confession and feel the release of being truly at peace with the Lord. Amen.